week Crusades by Zoe Mernier. Hair pieces have been around for millennia. Back when the ancient Egyptians had grown sick of dealing with lice in their hair, they dealt with the matter by shaving their heads. But too vain to be seen wandering around bald, they devised a way to cover their heads. The earliest Egyptian wigs appeared around 2700 BCE and were made of human hair and stuck to the head with beeswax. But as with many things in Egyptian society, class division also denoted wig quality, with wigs symbolising rank, social status and even religious piety. Upper classes could afford wigs made from human hair or even silver, while lower classes had to resort to palm leaves or vegetable fibres. Other ancient civilizations followed suit, with ancient Greeks, Romans, Assyrians and Phoenicians all happy wig wearers. Often this was to disguise the fact that they were a bit lacking up top. Apparently Julius Caesar's wig and laurel wreath was famously covering a bald patch. Even so, folk with a full head of hair also wigged up. Wigs could serve other purposes too. The great Carthaginian general Hannibal had one wig to make him look good while his second wig was used as a mask in battle. When Christianity became a legal religion in Rome in 313 CE, the church criticised wig wearing, declaring it a greater sin than adultery, so wigs were put back in their boxes. It was a different story in ancient China, where the development of wigs reached a peak with women's towering hairstyles in the Tang Dynasty. Their distinctive hair buns would at times reach more than 20 centimetres. While women in ancient China had long lustrous locks of their own, wigs would assist as a base for their impressive buns and chignons. Back in Europe, wig wearing plummeted even further in the Middle Ages, with the church ordering the hair of married women to be covered. Let's face it, the Middle Ages was one long hard slog and nobody indulged in any kind of beauty or fashion, let alone a spare head of hair. Finally, as beauty once again returned with the dawn of the Renaissance, so did the importance of women's hairstyles as they cast their head coverings aside. By the time Queen Elizabeth I began her reign in the mid-1500s, wigs were a standard wardrobe inclusion for both sexes. By then, hairstyles had become so towering and elaborate that they required swathes of additional hair. This could be achieved by adding in some fake curls and ringlets or a complete head of false hair, courtesy of horse, goat or fellow human. The French labelled this a perruque. It was then commonly referred to as a peruke, periwick, periwig and eventually just plain old wig. While the hair pieces served a fashionable purpose, they also hid hair abnormalities. It was no coincidence that the popularity of wigs rose in tandem with cases of syphilis, with the infection reaching epidemic levels by the late 15th century. With no treatment available, the symptoms, sores, rashes and hair loss, were highly visible, making baldness especially embarrassing. It is suspected that both French King Louis XIV and British monarch Charles II could have been covering up syphilis symptoms. But whatever the impetus, these two gents were certainly pivotal in sending wig-wearing into the stratosphere. This was also the time in history when some Jewish women, who tradition dictates must cover their hair after marriage, began wearing a wig, known as a sheetal, to cover their tresses instead of a headscarf, a practice still common today in many Hasidic and ultra-Orthodox communities. 
Inspired by King Louis's flamboyant style, Charles II brought the wig-wearing trend to England, which started with the nobles before it trickled down to the merchant class. Given that a basic wig would set the average London commoner back a week's wages, they were inaccessible for most. Those who couldn't afford one had to make do with styling their hair to look as wiggy as possible, while the well-to-do relished the opportunity to flaunt their riches atop their heads. The wigs of British nobility rose to absurd heights, requiring scaffolding, giving birth to the expression big wig. Wig ownership wasn't without its challenges, though. The wigs stank from sweat and were magnets for lice. Men used scented cornstarch to mask the stench until it was time for a de-lousing by the local wig maker. The beginning of the end for wigs of this era began in 1715, when riots started in Cayenne, France, because men were using so much flour to cheaply powder their wigs that it led to a shortage of bread. The death of Louis XIV and his wig-wearing influence was then followed by the French Revolution that saw the nobility being ousted and wigs with them. Meanwhile in Britain, the then Prime Minister William Pitt also put an end to wig wearing with a tax on wig powder in 1795. While wigs fell out of fashion, some professions have never stopped wearing them, namely bishops, coachmen and lawyers, a tradition that in some parts of the world continues to this day. Wig wearing among judges and barristers was, and is, said to denote the solemnity of the proceedings and to provide a uniform to reflect an unbiased standpoint for all parties. Wigs rose to the forehead of the masses again in the 19th century, this time enabling the elaborately dressed hairstyles of the Victorian and Edwardian eras. The construction of these hairstyles was dependent on the use of postiches, the French word for added hair, which included fringes, fronts, switches and pompadour rolls. These hair helpers stayed in vogue until the emergence of the bob in the 1920s. Pastiches started a comeback in the 1950s, with switches perfect for achieving that big ponytail look, perfect for twirling while sipping on a milkshake in a diner. For African Americans at the time, a full wig became indispensable for allowing a fashionable style without undergoing the painstaking process of straightening. In the 1960s, the vogue for all things synthetic coincided with the invention of the washable, nylon and acrylic wig in Hong Kong. Waves of cheap, mass-produced wigs saw women flocking to buy what hairdressers called a wig of convenience. At the same time, chemotherapy and radiation treatments for cancer became more commonplace, seeing more people seek out wigs to cover hair loss. Many men were seeking out natural-looking toupees or full wigs for the same reason. Meanwhile, the rising drag queen movement, in which over-the-top wigs reigned supreme, would in 1984 spawn the annual Wigstock Festival in New York. Over the last 50 years, wig producers have continued to improve the structure, fit and style of wig caps, with both human hair and synthetic wigs providing a detachable head of hair that looks increasingly more natural. But in tandem, pop and movie stars such as Katy Perry and Lady Gaga are donning coloured wigs in surreal styles that don't even pretend to resemble real hair, removing the stigma of wearing a wig. And while it would be fair to think a global pandemic would see wig production plummet, the opposite has proved true. In Japan, 
the demand for men's wigs saw wig maker Art Nature enjoy a major boost in sales in 2020, up 275.4% on the previous year. The reason? Zoom meetings, when men were faced with the stark reality of their balding heads on screen. Masks might cover our faces, but our hair is out there for all to see. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.